0: Welcome to the Future of Australia podcast, where your host, Derek Stewart, interviews the entrepreneurs and founders running the 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia.
1: On episode 45, I interview Dean Stressenreiter, the director and founder of Hybrid. We discuss what his experience working on the factory floor. In his early 20s, made him swap his degree from accounting to supply chain management. Why continual bureaucracy in a very large company made him frustrated enough to start his own management consultancy. The unique challenges that COVID and other recent events had on supply chains, and how there are an increasing number of tech startups in the logistics industry. If you are interested in a deep specialist and hands on support for supply chain, logistics, and procurement, check out hybrico.com.au. That's H-I-G-H-B-U-R-Y-C-O.com.au. So I'm here with Dean Stressenreiter, the Director and Founder of Hybri. Welcome to the podcast, Dean. Thanks, Derek. Good to be with you. That's all right. So can you tell us what were you doing before you started hybrid? What did you study? What type of companies were you working in? Doing what roles?
0: Yeah, um, so I spent the majority of my time really in corporate, um, so all, all in supply chain, logistics, procurement type roles. So I had you know almost 20 years actually before I was in, before I founded Hybrid. So I you know, worked in, um, uh, predominantly re- worked for a large grocery retailer, before it was the last corporate role I had, uh-huh. um, Yeah, one of the large two. Um, and then then really my career you know worked in ultimately more senior roles as, as we went through but you know food and beverage um retailers i say logistics businesses um got an opportunity to work in some private equity businesses uh, mid caps as well as as well as large businesses um so it was you know i suppose an opportunity in those 20 years before i found that the hybrid was to you know get across a lot of supply chain and logistics um, challenges and and what i found was that actually the the big ones are facing the same sort of challenges as the as the yeah, medium-sized ones. So it was, yeah, spent it's been, it's been a career, you know, in in that sort of um, realm across a number of different businesses, really.
1: And how did you start? I don't imagine many 18 to 22-year-olds are in love with uh, logistics and supply chain. Maybe you were. Was that the case? Or was it something you fell into? Or is just a, a grad program or a friend or a family member kind of um, pointed you in that direction?
0: yeah, it's a good question. i think I think people of my vintage, I think there were, I think just had supply chain had just sort of started to come onto the scene as a coordinated kind of um discipline, if you like, and they'd been you know transport, sort of and then factory or warehouse now really really kind of separate before you know maybe I'm sort of thinking of the time maybe before the 1990s, let's say. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I actually started a business uh, business degree in accounting and so mm-hmm. I really like numbers and um, still like numbers so that was where I started. and I actually did my degree part-time. Um, so you know really was a lot of work. But, you know, if you're in that situation, you know, it's quite useful to, you know, study in the evenings and then um, apply what you learned during the day. And um, I happened to be in a in a supply channel logistics fleet role at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed the, you know, being on the floor, being tactile, mm. you know, getting out of your seat, jumping onto the floor, the factory floor, the warehouse. Um, and so I think I did like the first year eight units and, and they were kind of fairly vanilla in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, but you know depending on discipline and so I actually changed I moved out of accounting and, and and there was the um supply chain and logistics major um and so that you know that was kind of like a um something that evolved as I spent more time in in, in um in industry working
1: but when you were sort of so you finished high school and you were just looking for work because you want to sort of pay your way through or earn as you go like you said studying at night and did it just come up? Or like you said, there was a lot of roles or just a lot of people hiring in that space. And they hired you and gave you a chance as you were a sort of first year uni student?
0: Yeah, I actually didn't. Um for, for family per circumstance, I actually worked straight out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um and um, so my mine wasn't, I suppose, a typical path that most follow. Um and and worked in factories actually in the first couple of years and and you know, making pallets and and doing all sorts of things and um when I sort of look back now, you know that that um, you, you really learn a lot at the shop floor, and then pursued um, university at a you know as a mature age student, so mid twenties, uh, and then finished it in my you know late twenties, um, and, and that by that stage, it already you know I got into a supply chain. I thought, you know, what do I like to do? What am I good at? You know, I liked I liked the people and like communicating. Uh, and I thought I was a reasonable coordinator of activities mm-hmm. uh, and I found a role with a family business um, that had a, um, a wharf cartage business. So that's um, yeah, pretty topical at the moment given the sea freight challenges, mm-hmm. but you we know, pick up products or deliver them to the wharf um, you know, for clients. And really my job at the time was to manage these assets, you know, 30, mm-hmm. 40 odd trucks. Making sure they, you know, delivered in full limit limit the empty kilometers. You know, arrange a whole host of scheduling. Make sure they were done in the most optimal way. And then at the same time, you know, um, work with, uh, well, deal with customers and say, so, you know, sometimes you get some customers and you know, where, where, etc. And so, I actually really enjoyed it because it was it, it was you know pretty broad. The, the, no day was the same, even though you're doing the same type of work. It, the, the daily challenges were different. Um, you know, dealing with a lot of people and that was that was probably at the time when I think back uh, where I switched from accounting to supply chain um, and then, yeah, and then I suppose uh, from there I moved into more broader roles, more senior roles, uh, larger companies uh, whilst I finished my degree um, and, and that sort of got me started on my path in, in supply chain and logistics.
1: And it, it was sort of an emerging field in terms of academics then, you were saying, sort of in the early 1990s. It wasn't, again, a long-established discipline like sort of economics or, um, you know, sort of other areas. Um, it, it was sort of an emerging field to organise and systematise or corporatize the sort of supply chain logistics management, is that right? And it was sort of, did people understand when you told them you were studying it or people understood conceptually a factory and people import and ship and deliver or did they not really understand? Well, what are you studying when all the action happens sort of in the warehouse or on the docks? Or?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. So I've shown my age a bit. I finished know uh, high school, mid-90s. And then I think it wasn't until the late 90s, early 2000s, I started studying. So by that stage, this is sort of 20-odd years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, yeah, you go to barbecues and, you know, obviously invariably the question is what do you do? And um, and, and they said, well, supply chain, what's that? So, so, you know, some people knew, some people didn't. So, you mm. know, sometimes you sort of felt like I wish I was a dentist, a or lawyer, or a doctor <laughs> or another or, you know, a mm. tiler. Um, and easy, easier to explain. But, yeah, it was sort of at that point where I think um, it was certainly emerging and it wasn't mm-hmm. really well as a, as a sort of an end-to-end discipline mm-hmm. um, and you know it was, they were there were they're always there were always, clearly were, you know there were always those activities happening mm. in a business mm. um it meant that the ultimately the management of those activities were kind of separated and they they kind of reported into different um areas if you like and so now it's probably more common that they report into you know ultimately to one person and mm-hmm. and i think the benefit of that for a business is that you know it's more coordinated and, mm. and the more it is then then you know it's said to be done better and cheaper and you know more effectively, I suppose. So um yeah, and then fast forward to today. I mean, if you you think about what's happening in the world with flychain, mm. I think everybody, you know, it's really top of mind for, for a lot of businesses.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things as well. It's invisible, right? When it's sort of uh working, but when it doesn't work, people very quickly start asking questions. And yeah, you're right, it's probably never been more front of mind. Um maybe in history. And so you're in these big corporate roles, obviously starting the family sort of business and working on the floor and then kind of professionalize and and more probably in a management sort of function. You're in the big corporate. Did you have side businesses? Were you sort of always wanting to run your own business? Did you ever consider taking over the family business? How did you go from being, you know, in a very sort of large corporations to wanting to run your own business and eventually starting your own business?
0: Yeah, look, the, the I suppose first first up the family business that I was working in that that wasn't my own, that was another family. So I was working as an employee. That was the, the entree to, to supply chain. But look, I yeah, I'd never I didn't come from a family background. I mean, my uncle had a had a you know quite a large supermarket when I was younger and had a you know a view into that. But um look, I was always, I suppose, told and and led to believe that, you know, corporate is so I was very focused on on you know climbing the corporate ladder, so to mm-hmm. speak. And put my energies there and got my education and um more education and um you know focused on uh growing my career through corporate so Mm -hmm. um yeah no no real business background to speak of through family that I was you know watching as as a young child um and then uh, I suppose what led me to to doing something I had an inkling um to do something for myself and um uh I suppose it got to a point where, you know, my last role, I was working in a large corporate and quite quite um, what would you say? It was, it was um a lot of bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, corporates tend to need some of it, but I, you know, this this business I, I felt was probably, you know, quite a lot of bureaucracy. Um and it became quite restrictive. Um, and probably more about me than the business, to, to be honest. I just felt I couldn't work in an environment that was really restrictive and um. Uh, and it was sort of uh, you know playing on your mind a little bit. So you go to work, you want to do these certain things, and invariably you'd have to go through you know eight different avenues to to get sign off, or you know, and, and you know sometimes that's good, and sometimes uh, you probably do with less less sign off. So I probably got to the stage where I thought this is this isn't really for me anymore. And um, I had I had a view where I would either because I'd done consulting before, um, and I'd worked for. Uh, some tier one consulting firms as a contractor. So I'd, I'd been in a firm previously as an employee for a few years, uh, re- really enjoyed working with smart people, mm-hmm. um, also the challenge of solving problems. So that really stimulates me around, you know, taking a problem, understanding a new issue, working with the management teams and the, the floor, four-star factory floor, depending on which business it is, uh, and you know, and really adding value without all the levels of bureaucracy that sometimes comes along with leading large teams in corporates. Um, and so I, th- I thought about, I actually left without a job uh, ultimately because I was that dissatisfied and I thought, if I don't make a clean break, I, I won't mm-hmm. do it. Um, and then I had a couple of options, three options in my mind um, around what I should do and one of them was consulting and I thought, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to do two, three options and and speak with people that are related to these three options. I mean, one of them, one of them was working, you know, um, in a in a I suppose a mid cap on the exec team. One was mm-hmm. working as as uh, you know helping businesses in their portfolios, and another one was then looking at you know consulting, doing consulting, but but for myself or you know under my own mm-hmm. team. Um, and, yeah, really, you know, you start off with these views and I think it's helpful to have a view on what you like to do and, and what you're good at and, and how you can offer value to, to companies. So I, I had that in my mind, though, those these three things. And then, you know, I started to explore these three things and, you know, I, and then the first thing that came up was, hey, we need some help with this client. Can you help us, you know, do, do some work here? And so I, you know, reached out to a company and started on that sort of management consulting route um, and then it really this it, it, it really just evolved i suppose and, and to the point now where you know we're, we're working with a lot more clients um, and we're you know we're still relatively small but um you know we're growing quite rapidly as as, as a consulting um, firm um and that and i think when i think back and i reflect on this i've, I've reflected you know uh, over over some meals with some friends about um you know why did you start your own own thing or why did you quit a job without yeah. going to something and I think if you know, because if if I hadn't been really comfortable in a in a corporate um, and you know thoroughly enjoying what I was doing, all the you know, without the bureaucracy, probably, mm. and there were parts that I was doing I really enjoyed in, in that mm-hmm. business, but um, it was probably the impetus to then do something about it. And I, you know, it, you, you mentioned before off, off off air about you know podcasts and the like, and I was listening to one yesterday and um, by a by an investment banker actually, mm-hmm. you know. in this person was interviewing him and he's saying, you know, what, what advice would you give people to starting businesses? And, and the response was, you know, what? Well, probably the biggest advice I'd say, just get started, mm. like actually start something. And I think there's a lot in that because um, myself included and others, and, you know, we've all got a lot of good ideas, but, you know, a lot of us actually don't act on them and get started. Mm. And I think back, why, why did I do, why do I do, you know, how did I get started? It was probably because, um, you know, it wasn't moving towards something in a sense or they had a view mm probably that time and place around um, the last corporate role really helped me to get started.
1: And do you find sort of paradoxically in a way, it's often easier for people to take your advice when you're outside the organisation, you're a consultant, you're a hired specialist coming in versus when you're in the organisation, like you said, sometimes obviously things still have to be approved and signed off. But did you find in some ways you actually you get more buy-in or faster decision approval again if presumably someone very senior in the organization has greenlit you as a consultant they don't have to follow your advice and some of it's not immediately actionable but was that in some ways easier than trying to convince your own you know colleagues managers um committees to sort of sign off on things when you're on the inside
0: yeah it's an interesting question i mean so i think i think the first thing that i think about is that when when a, a you know a client or a company engages a consultant let's say typically they've got to a point where they've they understand what they're trying to achieve mm. and they're really clear on you know hey we need to do x and y um and we don't have either the bandwidth um of the expertise in, inside our organization uh or, or the bandwidth or we don't have you know the bandwidth or the or the the, the capacity to do mm. what we need to do. And typically, so when you're you're working, what I found anyway, when you're working with clients and companies as a consultant, um, there's some already sort of pre-approvals internally Mm. that have been done. i got to the moment where the hey, we need to do something. Mm. Um, um, Whereas, you know, in a company, and the guy was relatively senior. I was probably two down from a divisional MD. So the access Mm. was there. I think, you know, you're dealing with a lot of, um, yeah, dealing with a lot of extra layers of bureaucracy Mm. internally to get so those things are probably happening internally when you know a company either reaches out to me, or I'll reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, uh, and you look, you have to be conscious of what's going on in the organisation. I think you know you do your clients a disservice if you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, by and large, um, consultants typically deal with less bureaucracy, uh, is fair to say, um, when they're working in an organisation than if they were the general manager supply chain, for example. Mm
1: yeah and so you um like you said a big part is starting you know pulling the trigger deciding to start you quit the corporate job the corporate career even though you know you had a few options of course it didn't work out you you had other pathways but what was the actual first 12 months like after you you know incorporate you set up your business you you sort of you haven't got a, a guaranteed paycheck anymore um but you've got some contacts and obviously decades of great experience what was that first 12 months like harder easier different um, better, worse than what you were
0: expecting? Yeah, look, to be honest, I've, I had no grand plans. I mean, you'll hear people say, yeah, I've, I've got this view mm-hmm. and I'm going to start a business and, and you know, they're perhaps a bit quicker than I was. But, you know, they they kind of launched with a lot of intent. Mm-hmm. For me, it was really um, feeding, well, when I, when I say, quote, unquote, feeding myself, so keeping myself busy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was pretty successful to, um, you know, uh, part of the network and then part of reaching out to, to you know, meeting new people. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of like an you know, independent consultant, if you will. So I was really, you know, uh, blending my expertise to, to organizations that needed it, mm-hmm. um, working on specific projects. Um, and so it was interesting to you know, work on a lot of the, the varieties great, because you, you know, you're typically working on three or four projects a year, maybe more, yeah. maybe less. Mm-hmm. Um, so you typically work on um, some interesting things. You're working in different industries. Mm-hmm. Um, to my background, I've, I've um, you know, I haven't worked in one organisation for 20 years, so that probably lent itself to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, had some experience in in some industries I've worked in, um, so retail or pharma or logistics, for example. Um, so, yeah, so it was really about, I suppose, uh, reaching out to people, doing, uh, letting them know that what I was doing um, and, uh, you know, keeping myself busy, I suppose, that first year really was about.
1: Yeah, and then you managed to pick up, you know, obviously, a, a bunch of clients, get some growth going, growing 36% last financial year, um, doing over half a million in annual sales. So you're starting to get some momentum, like I said, from a standing start. What was that sort of growth like? Uh, I mean, it's great, obviously, to have clients and work and, and things coming, but then also you've got to deliver on like, all these different projects. And, and the more successful you are, the more projects you get. And the bigger they get, maybe the bigger the, the complexity and the stakes. What was that sort of growth? um and what were some of the challenges of, of actually you know getting a great i imagine reputation and, and great feedback so that plenty of people want to engage you but then you've got to deliver and continue to sort of manage the quality as you grow
0: yeah no, that's a good question um so look it was really about you know putting more hours in initially so um you know what i think what what i found uh, after that first year um you know was that you know, people obviously aren't ready when you call them mm. and, um, and you know, there's a reasonable amount of work. And I wasn't doing a lot of BD back then and
1: mm-hmm.
0: not even 18 months ago, to be fair, I sort of picked up the BD, you know, 12 months ago. But, yeah, you find yourself in a situation as an independent consultant where, you know, you've got limited time mm-hmm. uh, and it's only you. And and so when you're reaching out to people, um, you know, when they ultimately called me back, some of them, um, I was already busy. Mm. Um and you know, I thought, what a shame to let work go. Um, and that was what sort of triggered them in my mind. Hey, what if I can build something out? Mm. And so, and that was that was really the the thinking around growing a firm. And so, initially, what I did really when I got those um, those additional clients. You now we had a chat with the client and said, so look, I'll be doing this work. I've got something else on, but um, and, they, and, they, and these were mid-sized businesses um, that I'm about in this sort of second and second and third year or second year. Um and you know, we we'd we strike an arrangement that both worked for them and I. So, you know, invariably it meant I was working, you know, 60, 70 hour weeks, mm. um, you know, doing a doing a, a a day job, so to speak, and mm. then, you know, doing other things after hours and and delivering outcomes for other clients. And um, you yeah, know, it was really only two at a time, I suppose, at that mm-hmm. point. And it really just grew from there. And and then it it gave, I suppose it gives me the or gave me the confidence at the time to say, hey, you know, if you can do more of the activity around the sales orientation and fit that in, um, whether it's a lunchtime, early morning, um, and you really are building the plane while you're flying, right? You feel mm. There's a lot of demands in your time, so you know you really. And I suppose the reason I thought there was an opportunity was to, you know, bring my expertise and deliver a great outcome for clients, and that's what I really enjoy as well. In, in when I think back in corporate, you know the projects were always exciting, and you you got specified objectives you need to achieve and deliver. Um, so you still want to maintain the quality, mm-hmm. uh, and then in time, you know we employed some people um, that are still with us, um, and you know taking on some um, some employees, um, and then having to you know obviously find work for them. Um, so yeah, I suppose it, it's a you know I'm, I'm quite a I suppose. Financially conservative person as well, so you know I've been very focused on cash and making sure that we're, growing. you know, thirty-six percent. You know, as you say, we've grown an average of thirty-six percent year-on-year for the last couple of years, and that's not phenomenal growth, but it's you know it's it's, it's reasonable growth. So, um, you know, I think there's a there's a correlation. You need you know you need to deliver the you need to deliver the, the work you've, you've won because mm-hmm. you obviously can't trust you to do that. And then at the same time, how do you grow? You know, grow your business. So, um, yeah, I mean, this year, for example, we, we've probably got to the stage where we'll double our revenue um, mm-hmm. this financial year. That's, I think, that's you know, the more BD that we're doing. Um, and I think it takes some time to, um, you know, most people if you talked about a company name wouldn't know it. And so, you know, there's a hell of a lot of work I think to mm. do um, to to grow the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I just take the ethos, you know, do good work. Um, you yeah, know, there's been some referrals, there's been some repeat work we've had. Um, so certainly, you know, growing a small business doesn't, doesn't happen overnight, but it's it's those little things you, you can do every day, I suppose, that, that, you know, do amount to something when you look back over mm. the last three
1: and, and did you struggle initially in terms of how to sort of position and package who you are and what you do? Because obviously management consulting, even I imagine supply chain consulting is quite a broad area, different businesses, different pain points, different challenges, how would you sort of, or it was a lot, they sort of know you, they trust you, you're a problem solver, you get things done, they bring you in? Or well, how would you explain, here's the problem I solve um, or the set of problems that I sort of solve or the types of businesses and size businesses that I solve it for?
0: Yeah, look, typically I've, I've, you know, when you when I've started, the business is really me, right? So it's mm-hmm. about, you know, how can I add value? Where do I genuinely believe I can assist and, and help deliver outcomes mm-hmm. for companies? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I'm wanting to bring expertise that perhaps, you know, um, other firms may not have people that depth of expertise. So, you know, rather, I've spent 20 years in supply chain logistics across a number of different industries. And so I have, you know, deep expertise in, in that area. And, um, and there's a lot of areas I don't have any expertise <laughs> in, so I don't go there. Um, so it's really about, you know, I suppose, reaching out to people that, that you know, are in that target market, if you like. Mm-hmm. Understanding the business, you know, we might you know, there's, I'll read the Fin Review or, or try to understand the market around what's happening, who's doing what, you know, are uh, there change management, you know, wh- where's there a need for someone like me and my skills to to help, um, given given where businesses are at, um, and then reaching out to those businesses. And, and to be honest, I probably haven't really leveraged uh, a lot. A lot of the work that I've had to come from new new uh, relationships, um, and um, and so, yeah, I think, I think people, so the, the companies or the people that I've uh, reached out to and targeted, if you like, um, for my services, they're, they're companies that know what supply chain's about. Um, and, uh, you know, the conversation really is about then, um, you know, introducing what I do um, as an alternative to others. Here's the types of uh, outcomes we've been able to deliver in these areas. Um, and, you know, it's really, for me, I suppose my goal is really to, you know, build relationships or make people aware of what we do. And so, you know, very rarely, um, do you ring someone or have a conversation with someone unless they're calling you and that, that probably has, uh, been, um, propagated from a previous conversation I yeah. had years ago. But very, very few times you ring someone and say, oh, gee, Dean, I'm glad you called today. <laughs> I've got this supply chain challenge. I've been waiting for you to call me. It never happens, right? Um, and so I think it's just that, you know, awareness and, um, you know, people have a need and, and you know, you, you've got a, a way to help. So it's just, it's just trying to understand
1: and, and and reach out to make people aware of what you what. You're and doing. And what would some of those pain points be? Like they're, they're having... Um, trouble forecasting, um, uh, inventory, trouble holding sort of suppliers to account? Uh, Are you more on the sort of consumer packaged goods, FMCG brand side or you're on the sort of logistics, trucking, shipping sort of companies who are managing the clients or the end sort of recipients like the retailers, the grocery stores? At what sort of point are you coming in and and what are some of those common sort of, like you said, those solutions that you solve?
0: Yeah, so we, we work right across the value chain for us so from you know, supplier and suppliers to customers, customers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and supply chain is such as you know touched on earlier, you know, I think the 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 you know since the 2000s, let's say, you know, it's that integration of the supply chain, mm-hmm. which is the commercial part. So um look, uh, broadly it's service and cost, right? And so mm-hmm. if you think about the hierarchy, like, it, it either fits into a high bucket of service or mm-hmm. a high bucket of cost. And then underneath that, you know, as you mentioned, you've got all these, you know, detailed problems but broadly they're either you know hey this is costing us too much and we mm-hmm. think it shouldn't cost too much or our service is really not where we need it to be you know we might have some customer complaints or just mm-hmm. internally servicing our customer as well as we could and we want to avoid a bad conversation in the future with our customers um you know and then there's and, and that's kind of the uh symptoms if you will mm-hmm. and then um you know the actions around solving that or, or addressing that you know could be poor forecasting or it could be you know, you've got a suboptimal uh, relationship with a group of suppliers, and mm. just isn't working. And, um, yeah, you know, maybe your business has changed, maybe, maybe when it was set up, it was, you know, it was it was great and it and it addressed the needs, but you know, for whatever reason, volumes have changed or mm-hmm. you know, the, the the network of volumes changing more to one geography to the next, and and, and you know, so supply chains, you know, ever evolving. Um, and you know, it's all driven by customer around, you know, where they're drawing volumes from or you know what they expect. And and you know now obviously with um, everyone's ordering online, you know people are people are demanding right we, as customers yeah. we're really demanding. <laughs> we, want, we want to order it now and we want it delivered now right and so that's that's posing challenges for the supply chain at the moment of many companies. Um, but yeah, look, we do a lot of work in that cost out here. I think mm-hmm. you know it goes through business cycles where um, you know people are looking to take costs out of the supply chains. Typically, mm-hmm. the ones Typically, businesses that have low margins. So, if they're retailers of their consumer goods, mm-hmm. and, you know, um, less so farmers, farmer businesses, for example. Um, you know, certain industries probably have more costly, larger supply chains, and that's probably more of a more of a um, an opportunity for, for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and equally, you know, retail as well, very customer focused, and, and a lot of a lot of a lot of industries and companies are. And so, you know, it's really about how do we design the supply chain um to meet the consumer or the customer's needs. And then how do we do it in a way where you know we can make money out of it as well and we can, you know, keep costs down and maintain margins. So um, yeah, I think for, for product-based businesses or businesses that are on thinner margins than, than others, I think supply chain is you know critically important. Mm-hmm. Um, not not just for cost, but also for you know maintaining top line and make sure mm. and make sure they're getting what you know they're they're ordering what they're expecting.
1: And how have things, again, you've been in the game for a long time, um, I imagine, since, you know, late 90s, a, a big change has been, you know, global supply chains, increasingly, um, probably just in time, inventory, things like that. But the recent last couple of years, you know, COVID, the, the sort of the COVID factor in all of that, whether that's lockdowns, changing rules, other countries, how is sort of, I guess, conversations around supply chains sort of change? Has it changed in terms of international supplier risk you know just in time for inventory risk other costs i imagine again like I said customer and customer sort of desire satisfaction if things are you know the shelves are empty and customers are waiting five months for product obviously that causes a lot of dissatisfaction um how has it been being in the industry pre-covid knowing what the sort of normal state of affairs is and then during and sort of ongoing um has that evolved the type of projects you come in on the way you sort of Talk to people. Has it helped in terms of people are more aware, or or what's changed, um, and what hasn't in in sort of in this COVID um, time we're in?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's obviously very topical. Look, I think broadly from a, if you think about supply chains, typically were you know put together for leanness and efficiency. Mm. Let's say. And so, you know, a lot of companies have got really lean supply chains and, you know, they're doing their jobs around the contribution of the cost is as low as it can be, mm-hmm. margins are, um, uh, you know, as high as they can be, and so that, that's a big right? And then enter COVID, right, mm-hmm. March 2020. And so, you know, and we're all used to whether it's a low-cost retailer or, you know, China's the factory to the world broadly, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of companies are sourcing product out of China, and and you know what through COVID, we've all learned that you know, even even as a consumer, if you're trying to buy a couch or, or something, it you know it takes 20, 26 weeks and mm. longer. So, so but I think you know that uh, that lengthening lengthening of supply chains that we've seen to now um really has hurt companies that don't have other options set up. Mm-hmm. And so I think what's happening is that not only now is it taking longer because of the shipping delays and the constraints and the lack of capacity for businesses that are importing, let's say um, from from Southeast Asia, China, um, it's actually costing a lot more. Mm. And so costs of you know sometimes I've heard cases where it's five six times the, the mm. container. Cost. Um, and so I think I think the reaction then uh, has been that um, because of the uncertainty, um, they've taken on more capital. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, taking more mm-hmm. working capital. And mm-hmm. So they're ordering more than they need um, to make sure that, you know, for example, retailers, they've got Christmas covered and, mm-hmm. and what that means is they've got an exposure of more stock um, and around forecasting, you mentioned it before. So, you know, their exposure to obsolescence, for example, might be higher. Because now to solve the problem of this bottleneck of shipping, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna order more, which is the right thing to do. Or one, one action you can do mm. to, you've got the stock ready for customers to buy. Because you you could order stuff and not know it's coming, and you'd be out of stock, and mm. to a point you have to experience empty shelves. And but also domestically, you know, I think with obviously what's impacted a lot of companies is through Omicron is the you know the large uh, contraction rates which has then um, meant that people have had to quarantine. Mm. Um, Even if the stocks in the local distribution centre are one of, um, getting it from the distribution centre to the store or distribution centre to the customer, that's been problematic as well because they just simply haven't had the arms and legs to pick and pack Mm. and distribute. So that's that's kind of been the latest issue. Um, So I think what... What companies are doing now, and we've certainly helped, helped companies think through these, and um, is really about, you know, how do you set up uh, a supply chain um, that, you know, has a little bit of slack in it but, mm-hmm. but has the right amount of slack with the right products. And so it's not a carp lunch, we'll order everything, um, you know, times three. Mm-hmm. It's really about thinking about, you know, your customer base, your geographies, your products, how do you, you know, put together an inventory policy or an inventory strategy you know, on purpose mm-hmm. that allows you to um, pull the trigger on certain items for reasons and 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 um, not for, for reasons. Or, you know, others um, not to pull the trigger for certain reasons. And then it's about, you know, do, where do I locate my product? Should mm-hmm. I have it all in my spot? And look, these, these things have been, these issues have been around for a while, but I think this is certainly front and center through COVID. So, yeah, I think a lot of people are thinking about, well, how does my supply, how should my supply chain be structured now? No one really knows what the next couple of years will hold. We'll be still going mm. to go through more. So I think, you know, having some, having some, I suppose, predetermined on-purpose redundancy mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, allows for sales to occur and, and limits the on-shelf um, or increases the on-shelf availability rather. Um, and then also, I suppose, you know, over time, I I'd, I'd, I'd guess that pricing is going to come down. Uh, around shipping prices but for those businesses that can source locally um, to the extent they can I think a lot more businesses are thinking about the opportunity costs of sourcing locally versus versus mm. um, uh, low, low cost country sourcing so you know both for time and cost and available and availability
1: And how do you see sort of maybe a small or mid-size company react versus a very big company? Like, I mean, the big companies maybe got more access to capital, they're able to more storage, they've got more staff, they've got, you know, more powerful maybe buying relationships. But are they, like you said, they sometimes buried in their own bureaucracy, like you experienced when you were there? So, do you think overall, and again, obviously, it depends on the industry, the product, the margins, but were the smaller ones able to be a bit more agile and adapt? Or was it really the bigger ones and the resources is what sort of won out and the ability to you know, marshal the resources when needed to sort of weather the storm um, throughout the sort of the COVID period?
0: Yeah, it, I'm not sure that um, like bigger means better in terms of um, better outcomes. Mm. Um, so I think everyone's, you know, most well, all companies have been exposed to to the ramifications of you know shipping shortages and capacity mm. shortages. So um, we haven't advised any clients in the particular matter, but you you read it in the press where you know some really large companies um, have basically chartered their own vessels, mm. and so I think that's happened. So they they gain control. Um, and you know maybe generalization uh, larger companies might have uh more i suppose pull or or you know get better outcomes from shipping lines or, mm-hmm. or the like not 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 inordinately that i've seen um and i think then you know if, if you're a product business you know it, it's then the capital you've got to to you know buy you know nine months worth of stock mm-hmm. instead of three Mm. Um, so yeah, you know, clearly some businesses can do that and others can't or you know some businesses may need to finance that and others can do it off their own balance sheet so um yeah i think it's you know you look it may maybe maybe weathered better by bigger businesses but it's, it's i don't think it's as if um there's a two-speed economy here mm. uh, no uh, different
1: affects- strengths and weaknesses for both right Okay. And so, again, you're dealing with international trade, international business, these complex global supply chains um, and seeing all these different yeah product type businesses. You know, what do you think entrepreneurs are doing well within Australia um, in, in the sort of spaces that you're watching? And then where do you think some Australian entrepreneurs um, still have sort of room for improvement or could learn from a different country that does something really well?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure how qualified I am to answer that. But, um, look, I, you know, I suppose observations that I'm seeing, uh, you yeah, know, there's, there's a lot of younger people really, you mm. know, choosing entrepreneurship or, or starting a business as opposed to working in a, a company or a corporate corporate entity. Um, you know, I think what what we're seeing, what I'm seeing in, in, in supply chain logistics is the amount of sort of tech-enabled businesses. So, mm. you know, there's, there's whether it be AI in dealing mm-hmm. with, you know, you're buying pattern, or you know, you're seeing a lot of these businesses in in the logistics industry or supply chain industry propping up. Um, you know, and where they're solving a problem that's systematizing something and automating it, you know, I'm seeing a lot of those, those come up. And um so I think that's quite interesting. Um, you know, some of them I've seen that are geared towards, you know, maximizing container space or route optimization and um, you know, using AI to, to help do that and predict certain things what, what companies should be doing on their next load or mm-hmm. um, so yeah I, th- I think I think logisti- the logistics business is the logistics industry rather is you know certainly seeing its fair share of you know tech enabled startups um, coming coming on board into the scene.
1: And I mean generally like Australia, you know it's a big country but the population is very centralized in, in a handful mm-hmm. of cities. Um, I mean, do you think we do well for the logistically in terms of fulfillment, delivery? Do we again is some things again beyond the control of a country or, or the the businesses or, or the you know again certain countries have I imagine more regulations on imports, more complexity. Others have better internal you know rivers and navigation systems or. Um, again different road infrastructure how does australia sort of stack up in terms of its logistics sort of performance and delivery versus you know other large or um you know similar markets
0: yeah i mean if you if you've you know many of us have if you work you know in a large organization and you're working with um someone from the uk for instance or europe that's coming to work in australia i mean ev- everyone that's come from those those regions automatically that they say to you wow i didn't realize it was that far away from mm. melbourne to perth so I think that's <laughs> obviously the tyranny of distance we have in Australia is a big challenge and, mm. and um, you know, if you kind of grew up here like I I did and, and sort of haven't worked overseas like I haven't, you kind of take it as a given. But um, that's something that, you know, is really evident for 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 people coming from other countries to live and work in Australia. Um, and I think, look, you know, again, I'm not a, a transport industry expert. But, you know, we, we help companies with their commercial outcomes in, in supply chain as a mm. whole. But, you know, as a part of that, you know, I think shortage of truck drivers is going to be an issue for a while. It's, you know, um and you know, you always there's been a lot of talk over a number of decades about rail infrastructure and the inadequacy of it. Um so you know, you think about you think about our population and what it's gonna be, you know, where Australia is a desirable place to live, right? And I think that'll continue to um to be that be that case. And yeah, you know, we'll likely see immigration be um continue to 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 um, to occur, um, maybe more so than other countries, and and then it's you know how do you so that that's going to be more volumes of product being moved around. And, you know, I think maybe at a macro level now it's so it's like, well, how, you know, what does it look like in twenty years? Is it, is it going to be trucks? Is it going to be more trains? Um, so I think it's probably more of an infrastructure discussion, and um, so yeah, I think it, it's a it's a problem, and I think um, you know attracting talent to to the logistics industry. Um, you know, is, is something that obviously we need to do. Um, so yeah, I I I I think there are a number of challenges in industry in logistics. Uh, you know, there'll be solutions to them, but it's just you know um, how quickly they happen, um, and you know what happens in the meantime with, like for example, you know how how do how do we move product now with with um, you know thirty uh, percent of staff off at warehouses, mm. for example, or drivers not coming online, and mm. you know here. Age of a truck driver is fifty-five. Mm. Well, do the math there. If there's not a there's not a complement of people coming through the industry to replace those people, um you know that what happens there with that capacity does that does that you know does that decrease and what do you do with a yeah? You know, so if you've got a decreased capacity of, of infrastructure or you know available capacity, and then you know there's more people to feed and you know there's more population, then yeah, you know, something has to be done. Obviously, so. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting industry to be in. I think for those reasons.
1: And what about sort the, of the population decentralisation? To a certain extent, a lot more people are working from home. A lot of companies are, are offering more working from homes to get more people. You know, maybe in Melbourne, stereotypically, people my lived in the inner or middle ring, and now more people move out to Bendigo, Ballarat, Geelong, other sort of regional hubs. Not everyone but does that also change in terms of and the same for sydney who moving up the coast down the coast to sort of um you know like all the consumers aren't as centralized as they once were does that also impact um some of the aspects of what you look at with your clients yeah it's a good
0: question i mean typically you know bendigo for example you raise. i mean typically the more the more people in one location um it just becomes more economical mm. and capacity to service that region i think you know when you're thinking about freight for example um you know it's it's problematic to service sparse areas or, mm. or you know low dense, low dense areas so look if, you know for those regions that are experiencing an uptick in population growth you know they it means that products will be delivered to them um more frequently for example mm. and, you know perhaps the cost at least the cost of doing business might become a little bit lower notwithstanding the current you know shortages mm. we're but in a normal environment quite unquote you know, you'd probably see that cost of servicing that that area um you know be be less costly than it otherwise would um you know and then i think the important thing for the community probably is around you know instead of getting two deliveries a, a week i'm now getting four mm. um so that's that's more beneficial so i think you know and, and we see this all the time i mean you depending on you know, if it's a B2B client, um, you know, that, that business customer changes something in their network and all mm-hmm. of a sudden the supplier has to rethink how their mm-hmm. supply chain should structured. So, it's, you know, it's a living thing. It's it's not something you look at in your own four walls. Mm-hmm. So you're really conscious of, okay, what's my customer doing? What's my supply doing? Um, yeah, and often it's helpful to, you know, collaborate with with both your customer and supplier. So really working hand in glove with them. Um, you know, on those really big things that can change your cost base in your, in your business. Uh, you know, some companies do that really well, um, or, or you know, at least companies identify when that happens and they need expertise to solve it. Um, but yeah, they're, they're certainly you know, and that's kind of the allure of I think of supply chain is where if, you know things are changing. You've got to sort of go through you know teams of people have to go through and solve those problems. Um, so yeah, there is there clearly is an impact when your customer or your supplier changes something. Um, it's probably time to check hey is my structure still working for mm. for us and for our customers?
1: And so looking back, what advice would you give? you know, your 18 to 21-year-old self, maybe someone or someone who's 18 to 21 at the moment and, you know, maybe they're interested in supply chain, uh, logistics, all these things are very topical. It's very relevant. They can see the impact. It's a sort of recession-proof industry. It's a COVID-proof industry. It's a, you know, it, people realise the importance of it. It's an essential sort of industry Um, with, like you said, technology changes, um, a lot of interesting things happening. You know, w- what advice would you give someone who's maybe curious about the industry, doesn't know where to start or, again, just curious but you know not even sure what direction to go in do i work for a big company do i start my own business in that space what would you say to that person
0: yeah wow okay that's a good question um
1: so i think look
0: i yeah I mean, there's multiple avenues right so um you could yeah i mean i suppose you want to first you want to learn a lot i think mm. you, you know at that age you want to learn you want to take jobs that um, are really going to accelerate your learning um mm-hmm. is what i would to say to myself and, and you know people that are that age now looking to enter the, the industry post post let's say uni um yeah and, and look I think I think the optionality to learn is probably broader than what it was when I was 18 so you know you can you can work in a big corporate there's, there's a lot of exciting stuff being mm. done you know with the with obviously the um you know online space and, mm-hmm. and you know are doing things quite differently and, you know, in time we'll see who, who has the better structure or network. But, yeah, you know, so there's a lot of stuff happening there. You know, I think certain industries um, uh, probably offer more than others perhaps or at least different mm-hmm. challenges. So, you know, thinking through, I think the industry is important around what you want to learn because mm-hmm. um, certain industries will have different challenges and then mm-hmm. it's up to, you know, you've got that set of expertise or you're inclined to that type of challenge. Um, and then even when you think about companies, I mean, there's, as I said earlier, there's a lot of, you know, tech, small tech startups that are, you yeah, doing a lot of interesting things in the space. So, you know, if you're more inclined to a, you know, a smaller company that's, you know, seeing massive growth and, you know, the, the, the initial chaos and, you know, there's a steep learning curve available yeah. there. So, yeah, I would, I would, um, I'd, I'd take, you know, opportunities or, or jobs for the learning factor more, mm-hmm. more so than anything else. Um, and then, then it's really, I think then it's really about, um, you know, understanding your preferences and how you work best mm-hmm. and so translating into sort of what value you can bring a company, right, and so you say, okay, well, actually, I know myself. I know I work better in that environment. And therefore, I can offer, um, you know, more value to this company. I'm probably going to be there longer mm-hmm. because it's more aligned to, you know, my skill set, my values, my, you know, appetite for how I like to work, um, so I think there's a whole lot of opportunity, right, that perhaps wasn't around 20 years ago for graduates entering the market.
1: Yeah, mm, no, absolutely. And, and going back to Highbury, yeah. You know, what does the next 5 or 10 years look like at a high level, the vision? Are you looking to keep it small and boutique? Are you looking to build out a team of, of consultants or offer more services? Or, you know, would you ever do a tech play yourself, seeing all what you've seen in, in the sort of... Um, supply chain space and how it's evolving and where it's going or, or how do you think about the sort of medium to long-term future of hybrid?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So look, I think I mean, there's a, there's a big addressable market. I mean, we'll, you know, we're obviously a, a you know, a small but growing player. Um, you know, we, I think we like to work in areas where we can deliver, you know, value significant value. And so whether that's a private equity business mm-hmm. that wants to portfolio business that wants to take cost out or improve, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a mid-sized company, it's a corporate. Um, so, obviously, we'll stick to our knitting around supply chain, logistics, procurement, mm-hmm. um, where we can add value. You know, where we've got, uh, you know, where we've got demonstrated expertise and so mm-hmm. where we've you know, solved similar problems or feel we can offer a solution, Yeah, you know, that's where we'll stay. Um, and look, you know, as I said earlier before, I mean, we'll, You know, you're kind of building the plane while you're flying it. So, what I'm really conscious about is, um, you know, uh, growth for growth's sake. You know, it's we're very focused on delivering outcomes for clients. So, I think you know we'll we'll grow, and this year we'll we'll double our revenue, and our Mm -hmm. target is to double again the following year. Um, And we're starting to put some structure and people in place to do that. Uh, You know, growing our team. Mm -hmm. Um, So, look, I I think the next couple of years is really about. You know, how do we, how do we um, connect with people that are, you know, looking for our services, make them aware of what we do, types of outcomes we delivered, and, and really, I suppose, get into the conversation as an alternative to other firms. So, you know, where, where clients are looking for, you know, deep expertise in, in you know, numerous set of industries uh, with people that have, you know, had on-the-ground experience, you know, dirt under their fingernails um, to solve these problems and they've solved them before. That's that's sort of a sweet spot. Um and so, you know, the next few years is really about, you know, brand awareness, building the pipeline, um, you know, and, and then um, you know, growing, really haven't put a number on it just yet. I mean, beyond the sort of FY2324. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we'll need at some stage. Um, as I said, we're kind of you know building the plane and flying it at the same time. Mm-hmm. We've experienced some, you know, pretty big growth uh certainly last year into the. Uh, and are really then looking at FY23 and 24. Um, But look, we we think, you know, you can dilute. We want to be known for uh, being, you know, the the supply chain and procurement operations um, consultants of choice, if you like, particularly for that mid-market area and, you know, uh, up to a couple of billion-dollar revenue. Um, And we think we can add the most value there. Um, And so we think that's a pretty addressable market um, in itself. Without without sort of um, you know diversifying or diluting you know our offering at the moment.
1: Yeah, excellent. Any um, final words or thoughts you'd like to leave the audience with?
0: Yeah, I think we've no, I think we've sort of touched on it all. And you know, thanks for your time and and talking through this has been been great to to chat with you. Um, and um, yeah, uh, hopefully twenty twenty two is a. Uh, you know, a a better year than we've experienced in the last couple.
1: Excellent. Thanks so much, Dean.
0: Thanks, Derek. Thank you for listening to the Future of Australia podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. To learn more about the Future of Australia project, check out futureofaustralia.com. To reach out to Derek directly, you can email Derek at futureofaustralia.com. That's D-E-R-E-K at futureofaustralia.com.